All right. For the rest of us. Um, do want to just remind everybody about next week. Um, so we announced it, uh, Rex announced it before church, but just uh, remember we're not going to have the, the traditional service, um, but we will be here at 4. We're going to do kind of like one worship song, take communion together, and then we're going to share not maybe a full meal, but we're going to have a little taco bar. I know it's 4 o'clock. We're not going to eat dinner at 4, but, uh, but just some food to fellowship with. And then we're going to have a time of, of just sharing. So whether you have a verse of the week, whether you have a testimony that you want to share, um, you don't have to share, but we just want to have a time of, of just really fellowship around the table. Um, kind of that, you know, we get to have that at men's meeting, we get to have that at women's meeting, but we don't get to do it as a whole group. And so, you know, this is our time, you know, once a quarter for us to come together, fellowship a little bit, and have that time to share uh, and really just fellowship. And so that's really what the service is going to be focused on um, is fellowship. And so no pressure to bring something if you don't want to, um, but uh, we just want to have a time where we get to share and fellowship together. So that'll be next week at four. Um, and so today we're going to continue on um, with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so I shared just a few little thoughts last week. We kind of had a, a shortened service with the weather coming in, um, but uh, I wanted to go back over that and kind of do it more fully this week and really look at where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. So where we're at is we're getting to the section um, where Jesus is talking about um, the Old Testament tells you this, um, but I say this. And so what Jesus is doing, remembering in the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus is really establishing his view of the kingdom, All right, what the kingdom looks like, what it, what it feels like, what it flows like. And so we start off with those be attitudes and we flow into that kind of salt and light conversation. And then we go into this conversation of Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to complete it. He came to fulfill it. And so with us, we don't uh, ignore the law, but we live in a way in which Christ has fulfilled the law. He's completed the law, so the law can now be written on our hearts. And so the idea is we don't ignore the Old Testament law, but we're able to live it in a complete, in a fulfilled, in a perfect way because we're going after the heart and intent of God's purpose, not just following his rules. And so that's where we come in and we see, you know, Jimmy went over, um, you've heard it say, don't be angry. But I say, even if you're, <laughs> or don't murder, but even if you're angry in your heart, you know, that's, that's murder. So Jesus is getting at, don't just follow the rules, understand the heart behind it that God wants you to have. And so what we're going to deal with today um, is, is on the core, on the face value, this is a pretty heavy topic, um, but what I want to get down to and remember is what we're looking at is Jesus is challenging our heart motives. He's challenging that need in the church, that need in us, that we're going to follow the rules, um, but maybe our heart's not really in it, or man, I can't follow the rules, so what does it even matter? And so he's going to challenge that today. So we're going to go over lust, divorce, and oaths today. <clears throat> so I'm just going to kind of read through the whole thing, um, and then we're going to go back and look at kind of each individual section um, and talk about, you know, what is he really getting at here? And so you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who has looked at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, 
tear it out and throw it away. For it is better <coughs> that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than the whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so what I want us to see is these three sections, although they talk about different things, they're really connected into one bigger picture. Because when we look at the whole of Matthew 5, um, where Jesus is talking here, he begins several statements with the phrase, you have heard it said. And so he begins anger, you have heard it said. He begins this section on lust, you have heard it said. Um, uh, in two weeks, Michelle will come and bring a, a word. Again, he'll come and say, you have heard it said. So, but here we see a breakup. So when it talks about lust, he said, you have heard that it was said. When it talks about divorce, it says, it was also said. And oh, again, you have heard it said. So the way that Jesus phrases this as we bring these three things together, we can see in the language that he's using, he's connecting the three together. And so what I want us to get from this is not to, to hyper-focus on one of these issues over the other, but I want us to use these three issues to paint a bigger picture of what Jesus is talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the end, and then we're going to work our way there. But really in these three things, what Jesus is talking about is that we are to have integrity in our relationships. Integrity in our relationships. So that means as I approach relationships, I approach them in honesty and humility. So when I can approach the relationships around me with honesty and humility, then we move to the good and the growth of the body of Christ, and we move ourselves into a place of good witness to those outside of the body of Christ. All right, so I want to approach honesty and humility. And so a lot of times when we look at this idea of lust, divorce, and oaths, kind of one of the common threads that runs through them all um, is they're symptoms of a greater disease. All right? They're not the main thing, but they're symptoms of what happens when we begin to treat and look at people as if they're for our benefit. So I, when I begin to look at my relationships without integrity, I'm looking at my relationships in what they do for me. What do I get out of this relationship? What does it matter to me? And I stop looking at the individual and looking at the person across from me and going, you are made in the image. You're an image bearer of God. You're valued. You're important. I'm here to serve you. And I start looking at the person across from me and I go, you are here to serve me. So whether it's lust, divorce, or when I make an oath and I need to borrow someone else's clout to do it, what I'm saying is what really matters is what I want. What really matters is me. 
And so what Jesus is getting at is when we have that kingdom mindset and we want to grow and be like Christ, that it's not just about following the rules, but it's understanding the heart behind it. And the heart when it comes to relationship, right, with the heart when it comes to other people is always that of, I have a heart of honesty and humility. I want to humbly serve those that come into my path, those that are around me. So one thing, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, that we have to understand that Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd and they were much more focused on communal living, community living than we are today. Um, So they were very, very connected to their community. And so as a family would grow, so as you had, as you have kids and they grow up and get married and they have kids, you know, in, in our culture, we all kind of move and spread out. We all have our own little places. So I have my house over here, my parents over here, and I have siblings that live in California, you know. And so we all kind of spread out and we get our own place. Uh, in that culture at the time, the idea was that um, as you grew up, you lived, if you were a, a son, you lived on your parents' property, all right? They would add a room onto their home for you and your wife. If you were a daughter, you moved in with your husband into his parents' property, you know? And so a lot of times when you look at, like, the home structure of the day, um, there would be, like, a central courtyard, and the home would be built around that courtyard. That courtyard was a shared family space that they would come and they would live, you know, they would be together as a family unit. And, And this would happen in the sense of a larger community, that lived and stayed together that didn't really spread out unless they were driven out from each other. So when they talk about things in the Old Testament, it's not as individual focused as we take it. It's a much more community. This is for us as a whole. And so really life is built around our interactions with others. And so this is especially important when we understand the church. Because one thing that gets us in trouble with church is when we approach church with a single mind. With, with a mind about ourselves. So church is for me. So I need to go to church so I can be fed or I can grow or I can get this or I need to find a church that's got this program because my kids need this or I want this kind of, I want this kind of pastor, I want this kind of things going on during the week. You know, and so a lot of times we've gotten to this mindset where we approach church, which should be the most community-based thing we're a part of, and we approach it with a me mindset. And so really in this section that I've kind of entitled Integrity with Relationships, um, our focus is that how am I treating my relationships? So when we look at lust, you've heard it, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so as Jesus is looking at this, you know, one of our, Top commandments, top commandments, you don't commit adultery. You know, be faithful to your spouse. You know, when that, when that union is brought together, don't, don't separate it. And so as we look at this idea, Jesus is saying so many times we can follow the rule and completely miss the whole point of it. All right, the whole point of marriage is that is sacred. All right, that's a, that's a sacred union. And so he's saying that I can't be married to my wife and hold that as holy, but be unholy with my heart, unholy with my thoughts, unholy with the minds. And so when I'm looking at lust, the idea here is that Greek word for lust is really to, um, it's not just a glance, it's not just a fleeting thought, 
but it's a lingering with intent. And so the idea is I can't lust the way this is talking about without objectifying somebody else. All right, so for me to have lust means I reduced someone down to what they can give me, how they can make me feel. For, so I, I look at a relationship and all I see is this is for my pleasure. It's just for me. And so it's, it's really the most selfish way we can approach another human being, whether it's someone we know or whether it's someone we don't know. But still the idea is we're objectifying someone for our benefit, for our feel-good moment, for our desire. And so we're reducing that relationship. We're taking them away from the person God intended them to be, and we're making them an object just to feel good in the moment. And so Jesus is saying that's, you're completely missing the point of how I've intended relationships to go. So in 29, he, he gets really tough. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And I've always thought this was fascinating that uh, I grew up in church, I grew up in church culture, and that I would constantly hear girls need to dress appropriately so they don't tempt people. But I never heard anyone said boys need to tear out their eyes so they'll quit looking. You know, and so sometimes we kind of miss what scripture says plainly is that, uh, yes, I, you know, I want people, I want to, I to teach my daughters to dress appropriately, but I also want to teach my son, Timothy, of, you know, we, we don't stare, we don't linger, we don't ogle somebody because that's not a healthy view of that person. Um, and so I think sometimes we miss that. Uh, 30 says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And so once again, he's doing it in a harsh wake up and pay attention way, but the idea is very similar to what uh, Paul says in Philippians. Um, I count others more significant than I count myself. All right? If it's going to lead me to tearing you down, making you less than a person, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop myself from doing that because that, that's important. That, that's, that's how we move and we work together. Um, and so uh, Martin Luther, um, so Martin Luther um, is the one in 1500 who kind of separated um, the Protestant church from the Catholic church. Um, and so in 1500, Martin Luther said this. He said, I can't stop a bird from flying overhead, but I can keep it from building a nest in my hair. In other words, I can't stop a thought in a moment, but I can control myself and keep myself from lingering on it. And so how do you handle yourself? Do you have self-control or do your desires and your urges control you? And so we are... Uh, we are built, we are, are made to find people attractive. That's, that's how we are wired. And so to deny that, to go, well, I just don't find anyone attractive. The only person we're really lying to is ourself. What we can control is how we deal with that. So much like Jimmy talked about in anger, anger happens, frustration happens. What God is calling us to do is, can we be angry and not sin? All right, so can you notice uh, the looks of someone and not fall into lust. Right? Can you let the bird fly over your head and keep it from building the nest there? And so the idea is, how do we view other people? And so many times, I think we kind of do this the wrong way. Um, of we, we try to put safeguards in place that keep us, you know, so, you know, we, you know, 
for guys, you unfriend anybody who may wear something revealing on Facebook or you know, if you have a, a porn problem, you may put safeguards on your computer or your phones. You know, and those are all good things. But once again, we're trying to treat the symptoms without dealing with the root cause. And that root cause is how do we value people? How do we value people? Are people more uh, important? Do we, do we come with humility to relationships? Or do we look at other people for our benefit, for our pleasure? And so, yes, there may be a time where you're trying to break some habit, habits and you need safeguards in place. You need that accountability. You know, you need someone from the, from the church that can partner with you and hold you accountable to that. But you, you're never going to beat that just putting those safeguards in place. At some point in time, you've got to really struggle with that root cause and go, God, man, how am I viewing other people? Am I really walking in humility as you've called me to walk? Am I seeing others as created in the image of God, as filled with your light, as holy to you, or am I seeing others for my own benefit? So not just are we putting safeguards in place, but are we dealing with that heart issue? So very similar when we move on to divorce. So it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so how do we deal with this verse? And so I think a lot of times in church we don't deal with it because we have that fear of condemnation. You know, so if I've been a, a divorced or if I've been a part of a marriage that was previously been divorced, am I, am I walking in this sin? And I've, I've met pastors who, you know, said that their mom's getting remarried and they won't go to the wedding. And I think that's insane. I think that's absolutely crazy bonkers. You know, we're looking at the letter of the law without understanding the grace of God. So the first thing I want you to hear is there's not condemnation in this. Much like when Jimmy talked about anger, none of us get this right. We all struggle and fall down. It's how do we approach this? How are we getting this? And so I, I want to share to kind of really dig down to what Jesus is getting at. We have to, on some level, we have to understand the culture of the time. We have to understand what's, what's going on here. And so um, when we look at kind of, we have the Old Testament that we know, you know, so we know the history books, we know the, the prophets, and then there's a 400-year break before we start the New Testament. So between our last prophet and Matthew, there's 400 years of space. And in that time, Judaism evolves from what we saw in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we know there's like 613 laws um, in the Old Testament that they follow. That begins to evolve in that time frame, that 400 years where we don't really have it in our Bibles. We just kind of have some history stuff um, going on. And so some of the things that changed was the idea of laws began to get added to help them follow the law. So they put structures and safeguards in place to try to make them follow the law, but it hollowed it out. It kind of missed the point, missed the heart of it. So for instance, you know, keep the Sabbath holy. So the idea is we're called to take a day and focus on God. Keep that holy, right? So they took it to the extent of they had rules in place of how many steps you could take on the Sabbath to keep it holy. You know, so they came and added laws to the laws of the Old Testament to keep you from breaking those laws. You know, and, and so as parents, I get that. As parents, I get that. You know, so I tell my kids, you can only have one piece of candy a day. So what do I do? I take that candy and I hide it in the top cabinet where they can't reach. 
You know, I'm putting extra boundaries to make sure they follow that. I'm trying to help them, you know, instead of teaching them about health, uh, about food, uh, you know, about sugar. And so sometimes we can place so many rules to keep people from breaking rules that we forget to teach them why we follow these to begin with. Um, and so one of the things that happened in that 400-year span is, and really it started happening a long time before that, um, but in the culture of Jesus' day, um, women had very little value. Um, they were treated as property. Um, so a marriage was like acquiring an asset, not a complete union between a husband and a wife. It was not so much a flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone situation. It was, I'll trade you for some, some cattle and some goats. Um, and honestly, that's really how it was approached. And so um, as part of that, you had one section of Judaism that was very liberal in divorce. Um, and so it, when he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's something that dates back to Moses. And that's something God didn't give them. The people asked for and God relented. You know, so Moses asked for, God relents. So it's not the intent. So what we're trying to get to is the intent of marriage. And so at the time, um, divorce was one of those things that, um, you know, for instance, it's, it's really kind of hard to explain for us to understand it, but for instance, if I brought, if Jimmy came over to my house for dinner, Michelle wouldn't be allowed to be in the dining room with me and Jimmy. Um, she would have to serve us and then leave. She wouldn't be allowed to speak in front of Jimmy unless I told her she could. And if she disobeyed that, I could give her a certificate of divorce and be within my rights in the Jewish culture at the time. You know, so I just want you all to understand the, the field in which Jesus is coming into play here. It's not, I have an abusive husband, but I can't get divorced because the Bible said don't get divorced. We're not even in that territory. We're talking about Michelle spoke in the middle of dinner when she wasn't allowed to, so I can, she miscooked my food and I disliked it so I can divorce her. That's the territory we're dealing with. All right, so marriage was dealt with in a very casual way as long as you followed some rules that kind of somewhat sort of dated back to the Old Testament. And so it was using the system of laws to really justify doing whatever you wanted to. That's the system that Jesus is speaking into here. And so what we're getting back to is the fact that marriage is a holy covenant between a man and a wife. So what if you say, Pastor, I've been divorced before, but I'm married now. My point is, okay, in the marriage that God has given you now, do you approach it as disposable? Or do you approach it as this is a holy union from God and what God has put together, let no man tear asunder? How do you approach it now? I'm not worried what you did in the past, whether you were a Christian or not. I'm not worried what you did in the past. I'm worried how are you growing and how are you operating right now? So in the marriage you have right now, all right, don't treat it as disposable. And so, um, you know, Michelle and I talk all the time, like divorce is not an option. Not that we've ever been close to that, but divorce is not an option. You know, we got to do some financial planning for our retirement this week, and we talked about, like, well, we know this is going to, you know, this is going to be what we have because we're not going to get divorced. It's just not in the cards, you know, because this is a holy union, and I have no business tearing it apart if God has put it together. You know, now I'm not saying if you are in an abusive relationship that is dangerous, then you need to come get help and we will help you get out of that. 
you know. But <laughs> your marriage is holy and you should treat it that way. God has designed it to be that way. All right? And that's not just for your spouse's benefit or your benefit, but that's for the benefit of the body of Christ. That's how we hold community together and we come together. Um, and it's an amazing thing when you have differences and there's no out there that you have to work through. And that's not to bring condemnation if you've had a divorce. That's to say going forward, if you get married again, man, if, especially if I get to be a part of it, I get to marry you or I get to be at your wedding or I get to celebrate with you in any way. It's the idea of going forward, how do you view that relationship? Do you view it as disposable? Is it, what, is it what's best for you? Is it what suits you? Is it what meets your needs? Or are you viewing as this is a holy thing under God? And so that, that brings us to, to oath. Uh, and I know I'm going fast through these, but this is a big section. Uh, so in oath, it says, Again, you have heard it said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, not take an, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so, simply put, what, what Jesus is saying here um, is it had become a kind of a custom to them of they kind of knew, okay, I can't swear by God. If I swear by God, I'm trying to borrow from His holiness. So I'm taking His holiness, and, I, and I'm basically, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an exaggeration to win an argument almost. And so if I come to you and I say, you know, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy stole from me, and I'm trying to take him to the judge. And the judge, and I'm like, judge, I saw him. I saw him. And Jimmy's like, man, I was never there. I don't know who he saw. It wasn't me. And I go, I swear by God I saw him. What I'm doing is I'm trying to borrow from God's holiness, his power, his might, to make myself more believable. So I'm not just using Jimmy at this point. I'm using God to get something for me. Um, I'm using him. I'm using his name. I'm using his power. I'm using his validity. So the idea is I don't have enough integrity to be believed on my own so I have to borrow from the integrity of God so that someone believes me. That's, that's what it means to take an oath. And so what they would do is they kind of knew, okay, it's wrong for me to use God in this way. So what I'll do is I'll swear by the throne. I'll swear by the altar. I'll swear by heaven. You know, so I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm not breaking the letter of the law. You know, I'm getting around it, but the intent of it doesn't change. I'm still trying to borrow from God's holiness to make myself more important in the moment. And so he's saying that's still wrong. You know, even if you don't say God, if you swear by all these other things, it's still wrong. And so I think sometimes we, we think of, you know, the idea of like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. We think that's a matter of cussing. That's not a matter of cussing. That's a matter of taking the Lord's name and trying to use it for your own earthly desire or benefit, all right? You're taking power and authority away from God and you're placing it on yourself. So when I come up, I swear by God, all right, that da, 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 I am taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm using his authority, which he's not given to me for that purpose. 
Um, and so I'm using it in vain. I'm using it in a way it's not designed to be used. It's not desired to be used. So Jesus is saying, you need to simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else comes from evil. And so I think a lot of times um, we think, well, I don't do this. I don't swear an oath. I don't, you know, you know. I think we do this more than we realize we do, especially in the church. Um, especially in more of a charismatic culture where we come and we have a word from God. So if I were to stand up here and say, thus says the Lord, da 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 I'm leaving you no room to disagree with me. I'm leaving, I'm leaving you no room to really go to Scripture and argue with me because I'm saying, God says this. I don't care what you said. I know what God told me. All right. So in that pride, I'm using God's name in such a way to say, you can't disagree with me. All right. You can't even refute me from Scripture because I know what God told me. You know, so that's, in a way, we're, we're swearing an oath by God. So I swear on God, this is what he told me. Instead of, um, man, I feel God leading me this way. You know, I didn't hear an audible voice from God. Very few people I've ever talked to hear audible voices from God. Most people I hear give prophecies or words, speak as though they've heard an audible voice of God. You know, so we're, we're misleading in our speech. And a lot of times I don't think we're intentional. And I think it's just the, what we've been modeled, what we've seen, how we've seen other people do it in church and we get into this rhythm. You know, and a more appropriate way to say it, a more honest way to say it. Remember, this is about integrity. So I'm approaching every relationship with honesty and humility. All right, so I want to be honest. I don't want to put on a front. I don't want to put on a fake face. And I want to be humility. I want to count others as more significant than myself. So as I come and I, I feel like God is leading me this way, or I feel like God, you know, I really felt the Holy Spirit uh, inside and I'm feeling like it wants to say this. And so what am I doing? I'm not trying to put words in God's mouth. You know, I'm owning up for, I am not the authority here. I'm not the be all end all. I make mistakes. I've been wrong. I've heard pastors say all the time, you know, I've gotten it wrong before. And then they'll turn around and go, thus says the Lord, you know? And so I'm like, man, you just completely missed the point of the fact that we all get it wrong. Um, And so, but you, the idea is you come in with honesty and you come with humility, you know? Test it out for yourselves, but I feel like this is where God's leading us. I feel like this is what God's telling me, but test it out for yourself. We're, we know from Scripture that when someone brings a word, all right, when someone brings a word, we're called to test that spirit. We're called to test it. So what do we test it against? All right, do we take it to someone with more authority than us? All right, none of us have enough authority to decide what is true and what is not. All right, how is that decided? It's decided by the Word of God. That's what has the authority among us is the word. We test everything by the word of God. So I absolutely 100% believe that God still speaks to us today. And I believe that's important in the church because it encourages, it builds up when we speak prophecy in the church. I don't believe any of it, any of it has more authority than the word of God. Um, That is the undeniable foundation is the word of God. And so we come to the word. And most of the time, prophecy, when it's true and genuine and doing the work of building up the church. So you've got to understand, prophecy in the Old Testament came to to reveal ultimate truth. You know, came to convict, came to accuse in a way oftentimes. That is not the intent of prophecy in the New Testament. Remember, prophecy in the Old Testament, God only picked a few to be prophets that he gave his spirit to. All right, and 
they lived by a code of, you know, give the word, you may get stoned, you know, get it wrong, you'll never be trusted again. You know, we don't live by that code. I don't want to live by the code of the prophets of the Old Testament. All right, I'm okay by this way. And as Paul talks about prophecy, it's the idea is that it's for the building up of the body of Christ. All right. So the first thing when someone gives a word, my thought is, is this meant to build up the church? If it's not, if it's about something else random going on, then to me, it has no place in the church because that's not the, what prophecy is for. All right. Prophecy is not fortune telling. Prophecy is not trying to tell the future. Prophecy is to build up the body of Christ. And it should always, always be rooted in the word of God and easily weighed against the word of God. So I think a lot of times we have to be careful when we speak to other believers and we say, well, God says this. You know, are we, are, are we using God's name in vain? Are we borrowing from his authority to make ourselves more important? Or are we coming to others with humility and honesty? All right, so that's, that's as simple as I can make it when we look at that lust, divorce, and oaths. Do we have integrity in our relationships? When I approach you as a brother and sister Christ, even if you're not a brother and sister in Christ, even if you're just another human being, we were all created with the image of God. We're all image bearers of God, whether we realize it or not, whether we've been awakened by Jesus Christ or not, we're still image bearers. And I have the obligation to treat all image bearers of God um, with honesty and with humility. Okay? And I can't do humility without love and grace. It just doesn't happen. If, I'm try if, if I say I'm being humble and I don't love you, that's not humility. Okay? I don't know what it is, but it's not humility. I cannot do that without love and grace. All right, y'all stand to your feet. Uh, all right, dearly Father, um, God, I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that you've been infinitely better to us than we deserve, uh, than we've earned. Um, God, that even while we were still sinners, God, that you gave uh, us Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you for this church body. I thank you for the ways that you're stretching and growing us. Um, Father, I just, I just pray that you, you know, uh, help us evaluate our relationships this week, Father. God, Holy Spirit, just convict us. Um, where we've begun to use people for our own benefit, uh, convict us of that, reveal that to us, Father, um, that we may approach others with that humility uh, and honesty, that love and that grace that you've shown us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Y'all have a good week.